Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense, Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Another playoff winner. 
As I like to say, the Seattle Seahawks have backed into the playoffs. It's always nice when you, you know, need a win and you need another team to lose to get into the playoffs rather than, you know, manifest destiny and being in control of your own, your own playoff, you know, uh, get, you know, seat. Yeah, I mean, right. both, of, both of our teams are, are, are not quite uh, our, our prime. I would say that's a that's a gentle way to say it. Uh, you know, barring a miracle, <laughs> either one of us going into the playoffs we're, are going to be first round fodder. Uh, Seattle right. p- plays the uh, San Francisco 49ers. We've you know we've dropped two of them to the 49ers. We're playing in San Francisco. You know, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, let, let's just say. Right. Right. Um, which is why I posed the question the other day on uh, VFC, our uh, football chat room. Would you rather miss the playoffs, or would you rather make the playoffs and be bounced first, first or second round? I mean, you know, I mean, we've seen it before. We've seen wild card teams, you know, win the Super Bowl. The first one that comes to mind are the eighty, you know, the uh, the Raiders, the '83 Raiders, uh, yep. you know, who beat the Seahawks yep. in the AFC Championship. Go on and. Uh, win against the Redskins, but I don't know. Missed the playoffs or first round cannon fodder? What do, What do you think? Well, I just I, I the way I feel about it, a, a team that's either five hundred or one game over five hundred, especially now in a seventeen yeah. game season, I really don't yeah. have a lot of confidence in that type of team. And uh, looking Absolutely. at the competition, especially in the NFC. Uh, you got oh, a pretty yeah. good team in the Eagles. You got a pretty good team in the 49ers. You got a pretty good team with the Cowboys. You got a pretty good team. Cowboys, yep. uh, yeah, and 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 you, and you got a good team Vikings. in the Vikings. Vikings. Yep. So I I I can't really see a team, you know, like the Bucks, really doing much in the playoffs. Eight and nine. That's, Eight and nine. A sub five hundred yeah, I mean, team making playoffs. I mean, you know, it's yeah. They're in the playoffs, and I, my my gut feeling is they'll be one and done because I really don't see how they yeah. have the depth to to run it off. But then again, you know, anything can happen, type of thing. It's the same thing with the AFC. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, in the AFC, AFC, you got strong teams in the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals. Uh, you know, they they are strong teams there. So I yep. think it'd be difficult for a, a really subpar team. To do anything, I could be completely wrong, as I've been in the past. But I really yep. don't think um, the lower seeded teams really have a chance this year, as far as the playoffs are concerned. So, right. and again, yeah. now we're into now we're into seven teams rather than six, so it makes yeah. it even more, you know, watered down. So, yeah, whatever. So you you, know. you kind of personify that question. Would you have rather the Packers win that game against the Lions and go into the playoffs and face the the 49ers, I think, or are you okay with them getting bounced and not make, making the playoffs? Which, which is easier for you? And on this season, I'm okay with them getting bounced because they've been bounced in enough games all season. I just don't think they had depth on their receiving core. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to give I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to Rogers, and I read about this and I've heard it uh, you know discussed. If you're a receiver and Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback, and if you overrun your route two or three yards, the ball is not going to yep. be there because yep. you should have stopped, pivoted, and you should have caught the ball that would have been in your hands that the man threw you. Rather than oh, I should have stopped. Oh, I, I don't know what I forgot what yard line I'm at. That kind of stuff. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I there's plenty of blame to put a, to place around this Packers season. But I kind of blame, in a way, the coaches not specifying. You have a man who's going to put the ball in your hands, so you need to be aware of your surroundings when you're running. And yeah, he can read if he gets you know get you know bumped up and you're running short on your route or whatever that type of stuff. Yeah, but there's the, so many passes I saw lost this season. I just think it was just you know the receivers just don't have the what it takes 
in a way, yeah. to play with Rodgers, you know? Yeah. So. Well, it's one other facet of this. Is this the end of uh, the Aaron Rodgers era? You know, he seemed to, you know, with Cobb and the, you know, and the and the, the bombs on all there, he seemed to be kind of, yeah, I don't know, not reminiscing, but, you know, just kind of like, you know, enjoying the moment or, you know, living the moment right. as he was walking out. Does Rodgers retire? He still has a massive contract left, as was mentioned. Uh, or does he come back for one more year? I mean, uh, can the can the back make another deep playoff run next year? Well, I think I don't think they can they can make a deep playoff run unless the the receiving core gets a lot better and the special teams yeah. get better again. And I've been asking the question numerous times over the past two months now: Is Rogers coming back? Half of me says, yeah, he's going to come back. He's hungry for one more title. And, you know, 2010 Super Bowl is a long time ago. And yep, number yep. two, half of me saying he's got nothing to play for. And to get frustrated again with another 9-8 and eight season or 8-9 and nine season, yeah. what's the point of playing, you know? He's, so, got, he's got 30 million, 30 million reasons to play. I think it's yeah, more than that. What, again, what is know, his final year? I, yeah. I think it's more than that. It's, it's, it's big. It's to me. It's the the money is always a moot point. I mean, especially you know, I'm I'm sure he's he's beyond comprehension as far as being take of being set for life as far as his money is concerned. But again, like all football players, you, you know, you live for that Sunday. You live for that day to run on that field and hear eighty thousand people cheering your name. That's a, that's a yeah. tough a tough. Uh, Tough way to go out not hearing that anymore. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Well, it'll remain to it'll remain to uh, be seen what happens uh, with regards to Rogers. I have a feeling though, if he does retire, uh, his memorabilia is going to really be pumped on the markets very quickly uh, because he oh, is yeah. a somewhat of a tough sign. And um, I know he has as all newer players have a couple hundred different rookie cards out there. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see which ones really gain traction and gain value in the long run. Yep. So uh, we'll see, it's see just, what happens with that. Always, always good uh, talking about the Green Bay Packers with you, you know, as chairman of the board of the Green Bay Packers with one share. Uh, you know, it's just good to see how the decision-making process, you know, flows. I'm sorry, Jeff. Say that again. It's always good to talk uh, Green Bay Packers, you know, uh, strategy with you as chairman of the board with one share. It's just nice to know how the uh, decision-making process flows. Well, uh, to me, my, my decision-making <laughs> process would be getting everybody together and just saying, are we going to win next year? If not, it's time to rebuild. That's it. Yeah. You know, we gotta, we got we to gotta look forward to the future. Or do we have one more yeah. good year with, with uh, Rodgers? And we actually win, you know. And uh, you yeah, gotta have better coaching too. That's the way I look. Yeah, at it. and NFL teams lately in this, you know, day and age aren't really big on legacy. I'm really glad, you know, like my childhood heroes, Steve Largent finished his time at Seattle. It'd be weird to see him lacing it up for somebody else. I mean, it oh, would be yeah, an absolute yeah. shame I mean, yeah. if Rodgers got traded to, you know, yeah. the Giants for one year, you know, that that tarnishes a legacy, you know, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, but again, I, we saw I don't Johnny Spiders I don't want to see him uh, end up another Brett Favre uh, between the Jets and the Vikings type of thing. Yeah. That was ridiculous, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that tarnishes, something, tarnishes uh, an image. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, and there's no reason, yeah. no reason for that uh, to happen right now, in any way, shape, or form. And, they, and again, you got to remember, Brett Favre turned down a very, very lucrative contract with the Packers to stay as uh, an ambassador to the Packers. And I, and again, I get it. You know, he was hungry to play. He still felt he had he had a couple more good years in him. Uh, he still wanted to win, but uh, you know. He he did he did do pretty well with the Jets, which you know again, the Jets are the Jets. But then to go yep. to the Vikings, your arch rival, I, it was beyond comprehension. 
good so, point. Yeah, just, I don't know. It's, it's just you, it you don't want to see. You know, we we I, I guess you know even in this free agency era, we've we've seen it. I mean, you know, John Unitas wearing a Chargers jersey, uh, you know, Joe Namath in a in a Rams you know helmet. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, even even I guess it's not beyond us for our childhood heroes. It's uh, you know it doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of ways, but we'll see what happens. Our special guest is here, and we're going to move. Uh, to his introduction and his questions. He has been researching and writing about football history for over 30 years. He's an award-winning author and a sought-after guest on radio shows and podcasts, including ESPN Radio, Fox Sports Radio, and the History Channel. He's also been interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, Rolling Stone Magazine, and Deadspin. He has written two books, was the managing editor of two more books, and a contributor to two additional books. He has written hundreds of articles, and currently he's the founder and lead instructor at the Football Learning Academy, an online school dedicated to teaching pro football history. I'd like to welcome to our show tonight, Mr. Ken Crippen. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And, uh, Ken, i got to... I got to point this out. Uh, I know you've been a member of the PFRA, which is the Professional Football Research Association, for many years. And I remember uh, reading some of your articles back when I first joined. And I think I joined in either 1989 or 1990. So I've been a member for quite a while. And I remember Bob Carroll uh, having a few phone conversations with him in the late 80s and early 90s. And he always spoke very, very highly of you and of your talents, and uh, it's amazing to see your career evolve, uh, uh, evolve the way it's done all these years and all the articles and all the books. And I'd like to start off by asking you, can you tell our listeners how you got interested in pro football history? Well, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, so I started digging into the history oh. of the team. And, yep, yep, Bills fan. And the farther I went back, the more I became interested in the history of the game, especially the history of the franchise. So I started detailing things like, you know, stats and rosters and game summaries and stuff like that. And I started writing about, you know, the historical aspects of football in Western New York. And things just kind of grew from there into, like you said, hundreds of articles and several books on multiple aspects of pro football history. So... So your start was basically with the Bills, and then it evolved from there. That's pretty interesting. That's that's good. Good to good to know. The Bills have a, a very very interesting history, and our, I guess our mutual friend uh, Greg Trantner, uh, who uh, is, is uh, an incredible historian of the Bills, uh, the Bills have an amazing story uh, as far as their uh, their history is concerned. So it, that's uh, a very interesting uh, beginnings of studying pro football history. That's very interesting. Good. Yeah, and, you know, Greg, you know, as, you know, he's well aware of you know, the a long history of football in Buffalo, not just with the current Bills franchise, but you got the right. Bills back in the 40s, right. you had the 1920s teams, you had semi-pro and pro teams prior to that. So, yeah, a lot of yep. interesting stuff in Western New York. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. An area, an area very rich in football history, to say the least. Absolutely. Ken, uh, this is Joe. Thanks for real. Really, thanks for coming on the show. I uh, thank you. It's 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 always good when you like. I originally started following you on Twitter, and it's always fun to see someone who has kind of the same. I like to think outside the box, but when somebody has the same, you know, cadence, uh, an, an obvious knowledge of football where somebody chimes in, you're like, whoa, okay, that was uh, above the, you know, you know, go Seahawks kind of route. Uh, and I just started kind of following and paying attention. Uh, I love your website. And, you know, then um, it's, it's, it's fun to kind of dig a little deeper on someone, like where are they coming from and their knowledge. And that's where I first began to, to, to recognize you. Uh, and as it turns out, Bob knew you. Uh, tell us a little about, you know, where I first started seeing it was the Football Learning Academy. Tell us a little bit, mm. little bit about that and some of the classes you offer through that. 
Well, as Bob had mentioned in the uh, intro, it's an online school teaching pro football history, and we essentially have two missions there. One is we want people to be able to put today's game into historical context, but also we want to help raise money for retired players in need. So a portion of all the proceeds for all the paid classes goes directly to help those retired players who need assistance. So some of the classes that we have there, um, the first black quarterbacks where we discussed the lineage of uh, early black players, specifically quarterbacks. Um, we have one on the Akron Pros, uh, discussing the per- franchise history of the first league champion of the NFL. Obviously, you guys know that it wasn't the NFL at the time, it was the APFA. But yeah. uh, Then uh, you probably also know um, award-winning author and historian Jeffrey Miller. Uh, he teaches a class there. He's talking about the first big game in NFL history is the uh, Buffalo All-Americans versus the Canton Bulldogs in 1920. Uh, another Ooh. guy you probably know, another award-winning author and historian, Joe Ziemba, uh, is teaching a class. Yep. Uh, it's called The Biggest Win in Cardinals History, where he discusses the rivalry between the uh, the Cardinals and the Bears. Um, <laughs> we have lots of others, you know, including interviews, you know, lots of female trailblazers like Amy Trask and Gail Searins and Shannon Easton, uh, Nolan Harrison comes in there, Ben Troop comes in. Uh, we've got a bunch of archival interviews. So it's pretty rich with a lot of different types of things. So uh, hopefully there's going to be something there for everyone to enjoy. Are those Zoom classes or how, how do you hold classes? Um, it's a recorded video on uh, on our site. Oh, okay. So basically you can go in either okay. through uh, through your web browser, through your uh, phone, uh, tablet, anything like that, and you can go in and watch the classes at your own pace, start and stop okay. uh, whenever you have time. So it's uh, it's something that will pick up uh, wherever you left off. Outstanding. Yeah, I was just going to ask, look, I was just going to ask because uh, I've taught online for about 20 years now, and uh, I've taught different uh, types, of, types of class uh, setups. So I was curious to find out how you guys were doing it. So that's a good idea. So you can pick it up at any time or, you know, take an hour at a night to watch it and then and then finish it the next night or whatever the case may be. So it's good. That sounds good. Now, how's yeah, that? and you can uh, also go back and watch the classes again as many times as you want to. So. Oh, cool. Okay, good. Good. That's good. Now, are you planning on any um, – uh, other types of classes in the future, uh, interactive classes or anything like that? I'm just curious. Yeah, we are uh, doing some discussions about some live Q&A classes with players and uh, other people that have historical context within NFL history. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely going to try to be some live interactive classes uh, with the students themselves. Also, there's more archival interviews. I mean, I've been doing this, like you said, for 30 years, so I've interviewed a ton of people. I want to try to get those recordings on there, so even if the player has passed away, you're still going to be able to hear those firsthand accounts. Uh, Plus, you know, lots of other classes. I want to put together some flagship classes as well. Uh, Talking about the history of the game, you know, in a broader context, similar to what you would have at a college or university. Uh, So those are the things that we have planned right now. That sounds great. Sounds very interesting, and it's, it's definitely needed. Uh, we we need to continue to keep uh, preserving the word of football history, the the actual words of uh, that the players stated, so on and so forth. I think that's so critical uh, to the to the hobby and to the history of the game at the same time. So that's very very good. Uh, I agree. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. You just said I agree. Uh, okay. Um, Ken, uh, can you tell our audience uh, which books you were uh, you wrote and what other books you were involved in? Okay. Uh, as a solo author, I wrote Turmoil versus Triumph, which details the history of the Syracuse Athletic Association football team, and they played from 1890 huh. through 1900. Second book I wrote was the original Buffalo Bills on the Buffalo Bison slash Bills of the All America Football Conference. As a managing editor, I did the early history of professional football. That was a bunch of stuff created by the Professional Football Researchers Association. 
And I was also the co-editor of the All-America Football Conference, which is an encyclopedia of the All-America Football Conference. Then as a contributor, I did um, a chapter in each of these two books. Um, They're part of the PFRA's Greatest Team series. So the first one was the 1966 Packers, and then the second one was the 1964 Buffalo Bills, which uh, has yet to be published but uh, should be out, uh, I think, this year, later this year, maybe next year. Okay, great topic. Outstanding. Wow. Now, I'm, I'm love inter- it. Uh, I'm, it, it. Ken, I'm interested. Uh, of the uh, two books that you actually authored, did you have one more favorite than the other, or one, one you were more interested in? I would probably say the original Buffalo Bills is one that is more personal to me because I was able to interview most of the surviving members of the franchise. So having those interactions and the stories come from them, I actually had one person, Zeke O'Connor, he flew down to my house for the weekend, and we were able to sit down. And I think I've got seven or eight hours worth of recorded interviews with him, plus I was able to sit down and watch old game film of the games that he played in with him sitting next to me and telling me what was going on. I mean, you can't beat stuff like that. So uh, I would say that book is probably the most personal to me. That's incredible. That is is amazing. I think I need to write a book on Steve Largent, or uh, Seattle Seahawks, see if I can get Steve Largent to fly out to my house. Well, there you go. (laughs) Um, you're on your webs or on your on your Twitter account. You're kind of all over the board in the eras that you cover. Like, for example, your your I love your I love your little brief polls you do. Uh, what do you think of when you see this player? Um, you know, or stuff like that. Or you know, who would you rather have? Like, if the one you had today was, uh, you know, which player would you pick? Randy Moss or Jerry Rice? And you know, and those are two different eras. So you have a lot of modern collector you know a lot of modern football people who are like well i don't know who jerry rice is i've heard of him you know and randy moss i mean uh so i mean do you have a favorite era i mean uh you know i, I mean you're writing books from the eight eight you know teams in the 1890s and you know they they you know you know fc era so i mean you've got a pretty wide swath there yeah i would say like um probably both of the errors that you mentioned, uh, the early pro football history, seeing how the game formed and how the NFL formed, uh, but then also going into the World War II era, you look at the All-American yeah. Football Conference, you look at the – there were six leagues that were trying to compete against the NFL at that particular time, huh. and only the All-American Football Conference survived from that. So it was interesting digging into those individual leagues their strategies for going up against the NFL and why they ultimately failed based on those strategies. So I love that era as well. And so I would say you know, oh. those two are probably my uh, biggest interests. Nice. And touching on that poll you had, Randy Moss or Jerry Rice, do you block people who uh, don't pick Jerry Rice because they're obviously not very smart? <laughs> I don't block anybody for that. If they start putting in politics or something like that, then I would consider it. But, uh, yeah, everybody's got their own opinion. A lot of people, like you were mentioning before, they may not have seen Jerry Rice or they may not have, with all of the other players that we come up with and coaches, they may not have seen them or know much about them. So there's obviously going to be a recency bias in there. But, you know, people are allowed to express their opinions and, you know, whether I agree with them or not is irrelevant. It's just a matter of people being able to express who they like, why they like them, and get that yeah. out there. So it's fun to I, watch. I saw one person say Randy Moss, but the problem is I don't know which Randy Moss I'm going to get. You know, rookie year, mm-hmm. you know, playing alongside Chris Carter, Hall of Famer, who could probably reel him in a little bit, or – you know, you know, later on, Randy Moss, you know, you know, it, it, I liked him at New England. I mean, it was so interesting to see him bounce back. Anyways, we can go on a tangent about Randy Moss. We don't want to. I just, <laughs> one of these days, Ken, I look forward to seeing a poll about something about Steve Largent. we got to work Steve Largent, my favorite team, my favorite receiver, into one of those polls. Uh, maybe we'll take that offline and I'll help you work on something. Not a problem. We can do that. All right. Uh, 
do you, do you have, I mean, Buffalo Bills, your favorite team. Do you watch modern football? Because, I mean, it's kind of interesting. A lot of people who study history kind of focus on history and not, you know, don't watch a lot. I know a lot of people collect baseball cards but don't watch baseball. Yeah, I definitely watch uh, modern football. Uh, it's definitely more interesting now that the Bills are doing well. But, you know, I yeah. always watch Buffalo Bills games. Uh, I, I've got NFL Red Zone, so I watch that every Sunday if the Bills are not broadcast in my area. Uh, so, yeah, I love watching modern football. And, you know, like I was saying before, I want to be able to take today's game and put it into historical context. So if I'm able to find a way to take something that's happening now and relate it to something in history, that's definitely something I want to do. Really good point. The um, the interesting part that I see in those polls also, as Joe said, I'm kind of surprised, but, again, I shouldn't be because – being in my 60s now, I've watched football all my life, so I've lived through several different eras of football. You know what I mean? So I do remember mm-hmm. players from the 50s and 60s. I do remember players from the 70s, players from the 80s. But I'm kind of surprised with some younger collectors and longer, younger people that follow football. They really don't have a good handle on anything but the past few seasons. If, I don't know if I'm expressing it correctly, but um, – they just don't have a strong background in the team uh, history itself, whereas my generation, our generation, Joe's generation, you kind of grew up with the team, and then, you know, you stayed and studied the team and, and learned more about the team. Are you seeing that on your – I'm just curious. Are you seeing that with your Twitter account and or with the uh, the Learning Academy? People wanting yeah. to were younger, trying to, you know, find out more about something? whatever team that may be your player? You do get some younger people that are interested in that. Uh, I think, you know, I am battling against, you know, like the ESPNs and the NFL networks of the world who really don't focus on the history of the game as much as they should. Um, you would yeah, think right. watching them that pro football started with Super Bowl one, if you're yep. lucky to go back that far. So yep, right, that's right. one of the reasons why I wanted to put out the FLA in order to make sure that we can teach all that stuff that you're not seeing on all of those networks, stuff that's not being talked about, um, to try to bolster you know, the historians that are out there that are putting that information out there, but to try to get it out to a wider audience. So, yeah, I definitely yeah. see that recency bias, but you know, I definitely want to try to work against that trend in order to let people know that there is more to football than what started, you know, in Super Bowl one and after that. Right. NFL well, had think, such an opportunity. Oops, sorry about that. NFL had such an opportunity in the hundred year anniversary of the NFL to deep dive, you know, do a deep dive and they, they swung and missed. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's like almost that the history of the NFL starts in 1970 once the AFL was, was merged into them. And I've, I've said that mm-hmm. numerous times. I said, you know, there is a there is a lot of history in the the 60 years, 70 years prior to the 1970 merge. And, you know, it, it needs to be explained. It needs to be understood. And, uh, again, I, and I'll, Joe, I'll use you as an example. You're a Seahawks fan. Seahawks came uh, 1970, 1976. So they do have – they 76. still have a good history behind them. You know what I mean? But then you look at the Jaguars, you look at the Panthers, um, yeah. you know, they're yeah. they're relatively young teams. They're fans. And the one thing I've noticed down here in the Carolinas, the Panthers don't really have a strong foothold like I thought they would have in both North and South Carolina. There's still a lot of, lot of uh, people down here who are still Redskins fans. They're still um, Steeler fans. They're still Falcons fans. They're Dolphins fans, so on and so forth. So it's kind of kind of interesting to see. Um, and again, I don't know how many people were Jaguar fans outside of Jacksonville. You know what I'm saying? So it's uh, it's it's interesting to see the differences in the generations, and I see it also, in, you know, relating it to collecting. I see it in collecting at the same time too. And I know Joe, you'd see the same thing. But in trying yeah. to study the game, if if they don't have any idea of where it came from, and if no one is, no one is is out there teaching it. You know, it's, it becomes tough, and I do agree with you 100%. The ESPN, Fox Sports, so on and so forth, they don't really get into real background, real history. 
You know, everything is History. just, you know, the 30-second the thirty second sound bite, and that's it. And you're not going to pick up a lot, you know, based on that. So uh, that makes your, your academy even more important. Uh, again, Absolutely. as players, players get older, as we get older, and uh, as historians get older at the same time. So, um, I, but that is something that's always bothered me as far as trying to relate the history of the game. And yeah, there is a lot more to the NFL than 1970 up. And uh, especially today, there's a lot more to the NFL than 2000 and up at the same time. Ken, I have another question for you. Um, do you have any interesting research stories that you could share with our audience about any of your books or articles or interviews that you uh, did over the years? Yeah, I would say there's a couple of things. One would be uh, for one of the classes that I put together, another from the uh, the original Buffalo Bills book. So as far as the record is concerned about the first black quarterbacks, it's not 100% correct. Uh, Willie Thrower's name is tossed out there as the first black quarterback since the reintegration of the NFL, and that's not really correct. Kenny Washington got in there. Uh, he was halfback, but uh, he got in and relief Bob Waterfield in 1950 and uh, played quarterback through some passes. Uh, then you've also got George Taliaferro, who actually was a starting quarterback for a few games. So nobody's really talking about those guys and making sure that they get the credit that they deserve. It really starts with Willie Thrower and then goes to Marlon Briscoe after that. So that's something that's definitely interesting that uh, I learned in the research for that class. As far as the Buffalo Bills of the All-America Football Conference, looking at everything that they tried to go through in order to try to get into the NFL when the All-America Football Conference folded, there were several questions I really weren't able to get answers to, specifically regarding Burt Bell's actions. Um, he said he was going to put together a schedule with Buffalo on it for the uh, owners to be able to evaluate and be able to vote whether they wanted them in the league based on that schedule. He told Buffalo he was going to put that schedule together, but then never presented it at the owner's meeting. And so when Dan Reeves came up and said, I don't see a schedule, I'm not going to vote yes without seeing a schedule. And so he voted no. And at that time you needed 100% approval of all of the owners in order to be able to admit a new franchise to the league. So that killed Buffalo's chances right there. And I really wasn't able to find out why he never presented something he said he was going to present. Mm. I even talked with um, his son, Upton Bell, and he didn't know anything about it either as far as why that would have happened. So looking at stuff like that, that's, you know, to me, interesting and something that still is going to try to require research, but chances are you're never going to get the answer to it because Bert's gone. And uh, Upton doesn't know the answer to that, and I'm not sure if anybody else is going to be able to answer it because those owners aren't around anymore either. Wow. That is, that is that's, uh, interesting because that's, again, a, you know, an unsolved question of history of the game. And do you think he had something against Buffalo, or do you think um, – I, I don't know. Yeah. I could speculate anything, you know. Yeah, there was a lot of, you know – speculation as far as why Buffalo shouldn't be admitted. They're talking about the weather, but then you've got New York City, you've got Green Bay. I mean, telling me Buffalo's weather is worse than cities like that. Uh, and then, you, know, you know, the biggest thing that they really could say about it is that Buffalo did not have an owner in place. They essentially had a committee that was put together in order to try to get the franchise. The owner that was there, you know, he says, I'm I'm done, I'm retired, I lost too much money, I'm not going to do this anymore. So a public <laughs> group got together in order to be able to put this franchise in Buffalo. And the NFL came back and said, you know, we need one person that can speak on behalf of everyone. And a, a group like that, you know, similar to the way Green Bay is set up, we don't want that. I mean, it wasn't codified in the Constitution at that time, but they did it afterwards uh, in order to say that Green Bay is the only team that's grandfathered in to be able to have 
you know, public ownership of a team. But since Buffalo was trying to do it as public ownership and they really didn't want that anymore, they kind of used that as an excuse as well. But really the schedule is what people pointed to as the reason why Buffalo wasn't admitted, is that no schedule was presented at the owners' meeting when they were voting on admittance. Hmm. I love deep on topics like that. Just unturned stones. It's, we, <laughs> we, uh, Ken, we had a guest on a couple – uh, like a couple months ago, you know, Mike Driscoll talking about Jim Thorpe and, you know, Olympics and, you know, how Pop Warner kind of turned his back on Thorpe when the IOC came for his gold medals. And it was it was such a, a fascinating deep dive. And, and this kind of, you know, what you were just talking about just kind of reminds me of topics like that. It's always great diving deep into these subjects and trying to find out exactly yeah. what happened. Uh, back in those days because, you know, like we were saying before, not everybody is still around. And so, you know, whatever we can do to try to preserve that history and uncover that history uh, is definitely going to be important to make sure that we uh, keep that record going. Yeah. People who dive deep into that, those little esoteric topics and write books on it, I mean, that is an absolute preservation of, of history on a topic. I mean, you've you've interviewed people about, you know, the Buffalo Bills like you're talking about. You've interviewed people who – won't be around forever, and to preserve that, I don't know, I just, I, I tip my hat to people who do that kind of heavy lifting. Yeah, and if you want some context, I think from the All-America Football Conference, if I remember correctly, there are only seven people left who played in that conference. Jeez. Yeah, that's a lot of Yeah, Otto Graham just passed away, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a shame. I mean, um, I, I, I mentioned earlier, I dig your Twitter account. I, I, I dig the topics you pick up, et cetera. One, one thing, you know, down the rabbit hole, I ended up on your website. And you have a, you have a grading scale on your website for Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, one-way players, et cetera. You, you have a phrase on your, uh, on your website talking about the grading scale for Hall of Famers. It's called the Hall of Very Good. And we've used that before amongst us collectors, just kind of poking fun at, you know, slightly below average players, you know, who, who get in, or not below average, but below Hall of Fame standards. I mean, you've got your Montanas, your Rice, your Walter Paytons, your, you know, you know, et cetera, and then you've got the people no one's heard of. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting. So Hall of Very Good, I like that phrase. And then I looked at who were your highest rated. Al Wistert was an 8.0. Uh, Laverne Dilwig, Leo Lavi Dilwig, was another one. Who do you feel, uh, based on that criteria, are some people that absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame that are looked over because people aren't looking before 1970 or Super Bowl one? I would say the two names that you just mentioned are at the top of my list. I have Dilwig number one, Wistert number two as far as who I feel belongs yeah. in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. They grade out on film. You look at, you know, whether you're looking at honors, whether you're looking at uh, championships, whether you're, you know, regardless of what criteria you're using in order to evaluate, these two guys have better qualifications than a lot of the people that are being put up now. I mean, you look at um, the three seniors candidates that are up for the Hall of Fame this year. The bar now is set at a single All-Pro nomination. I know. Yeah. For a Hall of Famer. Meanwhile, you take someone wow. like Laverne Dillwig. He has eight All-Pros in his career. He is six-time consecutive consensus All-Pro and four-time consecutive unanimous All-Pro yep. compared to a single All-Pro. All and then Klecko's got two. All-decade player also. uh, All-decade player? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dillwig is is an all-decade player. And then, you know, you also look, too, is, you know, Ken Riley. He never led the league in interceptions. He was only in the top five once out of 16 years that he played. So he averages 4.3 interceptions a year. And is, is that a Hall of Famer, or is it somebody that's accumulated a lot of stats because he never got hurt? Yep. And then yeah. you look at someone like Dillwig. I mean, we don't have complete stats from that era, but of the stats that we do have, he led the league multiple years, not only on offense, but on defense. 
you have somebody locked yep. up at a defensive end position and has 27 known interceptions. The only wow. other pre-modern era end that had more was Don Hudson, and he played defensive back. He didn't play defensive end. And he had 30, mm-hmm. so he had three more. But you look at, you know, Milner, Badgro, and Hewitt, combined, they still have single digits as far as interceptions. Wow. Wow. And that model, somebody else, we got 27. So, I yeah. mean, you tell me he's not the best end outside of Don Hudson in the pre-modern era and pre-modern era. Agreed. And why is he not in the Hall of Fame when we're focusing on all these recent players with lesser qualifications? So what, and it's what, a shame. Wister passed away about two years ago, didn't he? Yeah, it was probably within the last five years he passed away. Ken, so what, what's the you know your opinion on this? Why are they why are they reaching with these guys? Why are they are they that fixated on getting these getting somebody into the Hall of Fame, even though they're now you know basically dumbing down the criteria of, of the statistics and their ploy? I mean, you know, I have said this all the time. I can't believe some of the people who are in the Hall of Fame right now. What are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, it's on basically that? they're they're putting in people that they covered. So we're getting younger and younger people on the committees and they're voting in the people that they covered because that's who they saw. Again, the recency bias. They're not digging deep into who truly belongs. You take some of the historians that are out there that are on the seniors committee, get like a Rick Gosselin or, uh, you know, something like that. He absolutely is frustrated that they're focusing on these players when there are other people um, that they should be looking at, but they get tossed aside right. because they played too long ago. And to me, One more you're not doing aspect. your job as a Hall of Fame selector if you're not focusing on all of history. You're only focusing on what you covered. One more aspect well, of that is who, who's going to put butts in seats? Who's going to show up to, you know, the dinner? Who's going to show up to, you know, to the you know induction ceremony? And who's going to come to the Hall of Fame? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, more modern players means more modern fans. Uh, yeah, I, I have it the other way around. I have Al Wistard as my number one, you know, uh, you know, person who's not in. It's that's been a, a long overdue, and it stuns me. He he, he made the uh, the senior selection uh, twice in the last decade, didn't he? And didn't get it? Didn't didn't he? Uh, well, I, he my memory serves uh, me correct. He made the centennial class as far as a finalist is concerned. He was one of the 20 along with Dillwig, oh, but didn't gotcha. make it beyond the final 20. But they haven't – he hasn't been a finalist, and Dillwig hasn't been a finalist either, and I don't think mm, they've been okay. at all, but definitely not in recent memory. Oh, okay, that's what I got. But uh, So a lot of – you know, a lot of my knowledge of some of these old players comes from, you know, like Wistert's in the 1948 Leaf set. And I'm a, I love the 48 Leaf set, and I started to dig in uh, to the history of those players where I learned that. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, so I kind of worked backwards. I'm a, you know, I loved my Seahawks, and then I started working backwards to get into the roots and the history of football. Uh, do you collect football items? Do you have any, you know, footballs, jerseys, uh, anything like that, football cards? Yeah, I do uh, have some items. I've collected a few jerseys, um, a lot of All-America Football Conference items, obviously, Based on our conversation, that's not a surprise. But, you know, lots of um, game programs, media guides, record books, uh, photos, game film. Um, Bought a bunch of items from the Chet Mutrin estate uh, when they put that up for auction. So um, Mm. I was able to get a lot of that kind of stuff. So that uh, are things that I like collecting. Um, But, you know, also just one second here, going back to Al Wister. When people were talking about Jerry Kramer, they always pointed to his block in the ice bowl, and that's we need to induct him because he had that great block in the ice bowl. Take a look at Wistard's block in the 48 championship game to spring Van Buren for that winning touchdown. Tell me that isn't leagues above as far as the quality of the block. You're talking a snowy, icy field. He takes on two guys, rotates them around 90 degrees to put a gaping hole that even I could run through, and Van Buren gets the winning touchdown. So tell me that's not mm-hmm. a Hall of Fame block if you want to induct somebody based off of the block. Hmm. I just, I've, I've never seen that. So. 
It's very true, though. Do you have a video of that? You could email uh, to to our email group, you know, to the to the email we had going on to coordinate this. Do you you have a clip of that you could send? Uh, I can probably get a clip, but it's probably also on YouTube as well. Oh, okay, fantastic. I'll look it up. All right, wasn't sure. That's true. That is very true. And again, uh, again, back to what I said before, I, I just don't see a lot of these players being Hall of Fame quality. And you are correct, Ken. You know, they're just putting in people they they saw play, and that's it. So at some point, yeah. there's going to be uh, such a uh, what, what's a good word for it? Such a uh, diluted Hall of Fame that's not even going to be funny. You know, it'd be the yeah. Hall of Here's Good. It. I've mentioned this before, Bob, but years ago, on a on the football card collecting aspect, uh, you know, if somebody makes the Hall of Famer, their rookie card is worth a lot more. So I was trying to get ahead right. of, you know, of the, you know, the, you know, of the the finalists, etc. So I, I started putting together a spreadsheet. This took me months and books and books, uh, but I started putting together a spreadsheet on existing Hall of Famers, what era they played in, what position they played in. And then I just started putting together their stats, how many All-Pros, how many Pro Bowls, uh, any other special award, like you know, if they're a receiver, how many yards, how many receptions, touchdowns, and then anything else special, like two Super Bowl titles, Super Bowl MVP, you know, a league MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then I started taking modern players uh, and backfilling it and, you know, to see if there was anybody who ran into the criteria of that. And if, 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 as that data starts to get compiled, you really, just, just like you mentioned, Ken, you really begin to notice uh, the, the stats getting less and less. Uh, where it used to be like five, six all pros got you in, uh, you know, now all of a sudden it's one or two, and you're just kind of like, what? I, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of head-shaking just uh, – on, on the, the, the how low the bar is getting set. Yeah, if you're not looking at all pros, pro bowls, things like that, then, you know, you can look at the statistics. And what you want to do is be able to compare them to their contemporaries. So how do yeah. they compare to them? Obviously, you know, with rule changes and with more games and stuff, things are exploding. But uh, you can take a look at how they did against their peers in that particular year and say, okay, were you – Top five, top ten yep. in the statistics. If you're not making, yeah. you know, at least top five, can you really be considered yep. a Hall of Famer if you're not doing that over an extended period of time? Yeah, and if you're Our Drew Brees playing as playing as a quarterback at the same time Peyton Manning and Tom Brady are, you know, being third isn't that bad. No, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, like I said, you know, top five. If you're doing that on a regular basis, and that's going to, you know fluctuate around, you know, Aaron Rodgers will maybe toss up some yards or whoever's playing, they'll be able to do that. But still, you're consistently at the very top of the league. When you start saying, well, yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, the 15th best in the league, you know, for an extended period of time, that's not a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. You've got to be able to show excellence that you, you know, excelled at what you were doing. And, you know, not every position is going to have statistics like offensive linemen and things like that. So, you need different criteria, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult for offensive linemen to get in. It's because there are no statistics. You actually have to watch them play yep. game in and game out in order to evaluate, and you kind of have to know what you're looking at, too. You can't just say, well, this guy gave up a sack, and I was like, well, maybe it wasn't his responsibility. So you really have to know those types of things and really dig deep to, to look at things like offensive linemen where – skill positions, you've got stats to look at, and people just look at stats and say, well, this person has more than this person, so obviously he's better. And it's like, well, that's not really the case. Vinny Testaverde's got more passing yards than Joe Montana. I mean, who's the Hall of Famer? I was about to mention mention Boomer Boomer and, uh, you know, I mean, Ken Anderson, you've got some guys back then. But, yeah, no, that's a great point. You're absolutely right. True. Yeah, we're, we're running out of time. Uh, do you have any final thoughts or any other comments you'd like to uh, tell our audience tonight? Yeah, I mean, I really just want to encourage people to go over to the FLA website, uh, check out the classes that we have, the interviews that we have there. 
Uh, just go to www.football-learning-academy.com. Uh, there's a link on there for all courses, so you can see everything. We also you know, break it apart into different subjects. We also have a blog there, so if you're interested in our blog articles, uh, yeah. there's the link right on the front page of the website. So, um, And I definitely want to hear feedback from people as far as the types of things that they would like to see at the FLA. So absolutely reach out to me, and, and we can talk about that. And if you're looking for a, a speaker um, at your event to talk yeah. about football history, also reach out to me on that. I'd be more than happy to give presentations on football oh, history yeah. to people. Ken, I think I speak on behalf of most of our listeners, but we'd like to see more Steve Largent content. Gotcha. <laughs> Noted, Ken, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Lots of Steve Largent and Al Wister, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ken, how about your schedule for being on today? I, I appreciate it. I, I seem like I, I've known you for, for years uh, from the PFRA, reading your stuff and so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to chat and I got to talk to you in person, or over the phone at least. So uh, I appreciate everything you do for football history. And uh, I, yeah. I wish you well with the the, uh, the new academy. I'm sure it's going to be a very successful piece. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and uh, allowing me to talk about the FLA and just football history in general. Uh, our pleasure. Okay, great. Thank Dr. you. Ken. Thank you, sir. Ken Griffith. Man, oh, man. His uh, very, very interesting uh, yep. career, lifetime in football research and football history. Now, like I said, I, I, yep. I, Joe, like I, I said to Ken, I feel like I've known him all my life. I mean, I've read the guy in PFRA uh, newsletters for years. <clears throat> he was the, uh, I believe he was the director of PFRA for quite a while. So it was, it was kind of interesting, very interesting. So, all right, we're down to, uh, we're down to the, Roughly our two-minute warning and wrap-up. But before we get started, I just want a quick note. We have issue 79 is as we speak. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be in the mail Friday, so look for it. Uh, If you're a subscriber, it'll be coming in the mail over the next few days into next week. And if you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Grace Magazine, what are you waiting for? Check out our website, Gridiron Grace Magazine. Dot com. Joe, two-minute warning. I'm handing off to you. What you pick up on tonight's show? Uh, great guest. I, I love having people on who, as I, uh, as we talked about, just grab topics and just wrangle them down. I mean, and, and topics that deserve deep dives. Uh, you know, you know. As at last show, we talked about why do we like certain players like they deserve recognition, and some of these topics deserve a light shined on them, and and. Uh, so people who do that heavy lifting and then put that in writing for future generations to be able to enjoy, just uh, I, I, I tip my hat. Great guest. Obviously, Ken knows his stuff and uh, the classes he offers, uh, you know, the stuff he's putting out on Twitter uh, is it, just it's great content. He's just a great guest, very knowledgeable. Yeah, I, I, and again, I, I agree with Ken on, on two big points. The NFL could be doing a much better job of, preserving their history and the hall of fame to me is a mess right now. I don't care what anybody says, uh, to see people, uh, players who, in my opinion, happy, they're not hall of famers. And just because you covered the guy doesn't mean that he should be in type of thing. And Joe, to what you said, I think it's very true. You know, in a way, hall of fame is looking for maximizing their dollar potential so we need the max amount of people we can get to come to Canton to watch the game and watch the ceremonies and spend their money, so on and so forth. And, you know, that that's okay, but you know what? It's not working with the players they got. You know what I mean? So that's, totally. that's uh, another, big, another big problem that they have there. So very informative tonight, very interesting, very informative. Um, with the last roughly 40 seconds left, uh, couple of uh, quick notes. We're going to have a, a pretty good show next Wednesday night, uh, and I'll leave it at, at that. We're going to have a uh, dealer coming on who we both know quite well, and he's going to be discussing uh, the 56 Tops football set and vintage cards from 34 
1935 to 1950s uh, and 60s, so it's going to be a good show, and I'm looking forward to that show next week. Joe, final thoughts, 10 seconds. Outstanding show, great guest. Thanks for arranging as always, Captain. There he was. I'm glad Ken was on. And we're out of time. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another show. Take care. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.